After spending several weeks talking about Moses, I was ready to do something from the New Testament. And I was reading through 2 Corinthians when I came across a passage that I kind of wanted to talk about. So that's what we're going to do today is look at this passage in 2 Corinthians. And before we read the passage, in order to understand what is being said and why, you kind of have to understand what First and Second Corinthians are about. So Paul went and planted the Corinthian church, and after he left, things kind of started to fall apart. Um, just to give an example, there was a member of that church who was boasting about how he was sleeping with his mother-in-law. So that just kind of gives an example of how bad things were starting to get there. And so Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthian church, to tell them about how they were getting off track and, and a lot of stuff that they needed to fix. And thankfully, after they received that letter, they did get their stuff in order and get back on the right track. And so 2 Corinthians is then Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church after they've made all of these corrections. So with that in mind, the passage I want to read is in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning at verse 8. Paul talking, he says, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance, that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Now, when I read this passage, that phrase of godly sorrow leading to repentance really stood out to me. And so I want to talk a little bit about what godly sorrow is, how it differs from worldly sorrow, and just kind of this whole exchange that takes place. Because we see in this letter, Paul expressing the regret that he initially had from the first letter that he wrote in this letter of correction to the Corinthian church. And it's understandable why Paul would be regretful about that. I'm guessing he probably heard the news of how things were falling apart at that church. And as he was writing out his correction and scolding them, he probably wasn't in a very joyful, uh, lighthearted mood. He was probably pretty angry. And I'm sure many of us uh, maybe not sent a letter, but we've sent a text to someone and then later on kind of regretted sending that message. And we think to ourselves, why did I say that? Like, I shouldn't have said that. And we second guess ourselves. And I'm pretty sure that's kind of what happened to Paul. And when we look at what he says and through what he wrote, that seems to be what is being conveyed here is that he was probably really upset when he wrote that first letter. And after it was sent away that he started to second guess himself and think, oh, why did I send that? Now I'm just kind of the big bad guy and maybe I should have been a little more gentle and all of these different things. So he regrets that at first. But then when he sees that 
the corrections he makes to them causes them to actually get their life and their faith back on course. He realizes that it was wrong for him to regret sending that letter. And that he then realizes how necessary that letter of correction was. And even though he was worried about harming them, he recognizes that his letter, it, it didn't harm them. It didn't make things worse. And sure, it would have been unpleasant to be scolded by, you know, the person who founded your church. And after he leaves, everything goes downhill. And then you get a letter from him scolding you and correcting you. That obviously wouldn't be a pleasant experience. But it was necessary that they receive that correction in order for them to fix what was falling apart and what was breaking. And correction is always kind of in that process. It's a process that is unpleasant for us, but is necessary so that we don't continue in our folly, in our ignorance. We need somebody to come and tell us what needs to be changed. And I'm sure many of us could think of many examples in our life where it wasn't even that we thought we were doing something wrong or we had bad intentions, but somewhere along the line, we were in a situation where our words and our actions were making things worse, and we needed somebody to come and correct us. I remember when my wife and I were first married, and it was the first time that I, wa I surprised her by doing her laundry for her. And I, you know, I, she didn't ask me to, uh, and I just wanted to do that for her. So I washed her clothes, and I, I dried her clothes, and I brought it back to her, and I was so excited for her to find out and for me to tell her, look, I, I did your laundry for you. Aren't you so happy? And I thought she was going to be like, wow, you're the best husband ever, and... I'm so happy because you did that. Wow, you're amazing. And instead, what she said was, did you put this sweater in the dryer? And immediately I knew <laughs> that I had made a mistake. And so here I was, acting out of noble intentions, and even expecting to be rewarded with praise for it, and being corrected, realizing that there are some things that are not supposed to go in the dryer because they can stretch them or ruin them. Although that was not a pleasant experience and a far less pleasant experience than I was hoping for, that correction was still necessary because I needed to learn that there were some things that I was not supposed to put in the laundry. And in fact, I... You know, looking back at it, I'm glad that my wife corrected me rather than just keeping it to herself. Because who knows how many more of her clothes I could have ruined <laughs> if she didn't correct me. And so sure, anytime we receive correction, it's not something we look forward to. It's not a pleasant experience, but it is helpful rather than harmful. And so we need to, in our hearts, be at a place where we allow correction 
to take place in our life. We allow people to correct us. And that we also allow correction to be something that can happen through us as well. I know that's something that's difficult for me because I want to just keep my mouth shut and and just, you know, water off a duck's back and don't worry about it and don't rock the boat and all of those kinds of things. But sometimes that makes things worse because the, then the problem is never addressed. And so correction, although unpleasant, is necessary to help us get back on course. And so we have to be willing to allow correction to happen both in our own lives and through us. And when that correction happens, that correction is tied to this idea of godly sorrow. But just before I talk about godly sorrow, I want to end on that point. So I first want to talk about what Paul mentions at the end of this passage, which is worldly sorrow. And of course, worldly sorrow is what most of us in the world just know as sorrow. It's sadness, it's despair, it's this feeling of guilt and and worry and just sadness. It's sorrow. And he says that that worldly sorrow brings death. And the death that he's talking about there isn't a physical death, although sometimes sorrow, immense sorrow, does lead to a physical death. But he's talking about a spiritual death here. And I want us to realize where that worldly sorrow comes from and the nature that it consists of. Because worldly sorrow comes from this desire to abandon and hide. So when you are dealing with something in your life, you encounter something unpleasant, you try to disconnect yourself from that thing. And whatever situation is making you sorrowful, whatever situation is making you sad, you try to disconnect from that completely, abandon the situation. And then once you've done that, You try to hide it. You try to keep it secret. You don't want anybody else to know about that thing that brings you sadness. You don't want to talk about it. You don't want anyone around you mentioning it. You want to pretend as though it never happened. It's that classic state of denial. Just don't talk about it, and it'll go away. Don't let anybody else know about it, and you'll never have to think about it. And so we try to remove ourselves from those things, from that thing that brings us sorrow. Try to remove ourselves from it as far as possible. That is how worldly sorrow works. So why does that bring death? How does that bring spiritual death to our life? Well, when we abandon things and when we try to hide them away, what happens is that we cut ourselves off from support that's meant to help us heal from that and help strengthen us to get through those things. Because if you never talk about it to anyone, no one knows that you need help with it. And so you're left to just deal with it on your own and 
when you have to deal with it on your own, it, it seems so overwhelming because it's such a big thing and you're such a small person. You're so insignificant by yourself. What could you do in the face of that? And that applies with other people, trying to hide that thing from other people, and also trying to hide that thing from God. I mean, that doesn't keep God from knowing about it. God still knows it's there. But what you're doing is you're cutting yourself off from receiving that support from God as well. And you try to deal with it on your own, realize that you can't through your own strength, and so you go back to just trying to remove yourself from it further, trying to abandon it, trying to hide it. And you never receive the help and support that you need to deal with that thing. It's like if you're a kid and you spill some juice on the carpet and you you feel ashamed and worried. You don't want anybody to know about that, so you try to clean it off. You grab some paper towels and, and scrub, 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 but all that does is spread the color around on the carpet even more, and now you've got a big red splotch on the white carpet rather than a small one, and oh no, you've only made things worse and so let's just grab some clothes or a blanket and cover it up and hope that nobody finds out you're not helping the situation the situation's not being fixed all it's all that's happening is it's getting worse and now every time somebody walks by where that spill is you're going to panic and even when nobody's walking by you're wondering what am i going to do about this I have to go away. Maybe I'll go over to a friend's house and, you know, when it's discovered, they won't know who did it. And, <laughs> you know, it's that kind of mentality that we have. And it sounds silly with this example, but it's the same mentality we use for so many other things in our lives, where all we're trying to do is run away from it. And all that does is make it worse for us. And what that little kid really needs to do is be honest about what he's done. Let his parents know so that they can clean it up correctly. But that guilt and shame and fear and worry causes them to hide it deep inside of them instead and try to run away. And so often, that's exactly what we do. We try to separate ourselves from it, abandon the situation, and keep it secret, hide it away. And we never receive the help that we need because of it. So rather than dealing with these situations with worldly sorrow, we instead need to be honest about our struggles honest with the situation we're dealing with so that we can receive help from God and from those around us who love us and care about us and want to help us with the problem and will help us if we're only honest with them about it. And to contrast that idea of worldly sorrow, we then get this beautiful example of godly sorrow. 
And Paul says that it's this godly sorrow that brings us to a place of repentance. And that that repentance then leads to salvation. Now you might say, well, I'm already a Christian. I've already been saved by the grace of God and by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So I've already went through that process. I'm good now. But that's not the case. If that's what you're thinking, that's not right. Because repentance is something that isn't just something we do one time. It's an attitude that we should live our lives with. And I don't mean that we are constantly bringing up bad things we've done before and and re-repenting for those things again. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about when I say having an attitude of repentance is realizing the need that we have that when we come across things that are difficult, that we struggle with, that are uncomfortable and unpleasant for us, that instead of running away from it, that we understand it and confront it. And that's what godly sorrow is. That's what having an attitude of repentance is, is realizing that need to understand and confront the things that we're faced with. And both of those things are important, the understanding and the confronting it. Because if you only have one of those things, it's not going to turn out very well. If you try to confront something without understanding what it is you're trying to confront, it's not going to work very well, you won't be very successful, and you'll probably end up just more frustrated with the situation. But the same is also true if you try to understand something, but never confront it. And last week... um, When we were having our Bible study at church, we kind of talked about this topic a little bit when we were talking about the difference between asking for forgiveness and repentance. And there is a big difference between those two things, because asking for forgiveness is a part of repentance, but repentance is so much more than just that. Repentance is a turning away from that thing that we're asking forgiveness for. It's saying, I'm not going to allow this thing to continue in my life, and I'm going to make a change, I'm going to make a correction that is unpleasant but necessary so that I don't continue in this thing. And that's very different than simply asking for forgiveness. There's a man in our Bible study who oftentimes talks about Uh, a friend that he had growing up, and his friend would swear and, and do all these things. And when the man would ask his friend, you know, how can you be okay with doing this? His, his friend would respond, well, it's okay because I just go and ask for forgiveness for it later. And that is very much not a biblically accurate view of life. Because God doesn't just call us 
to ask for forgiveness for our sins. He calls us to repentance where we turn from our sin and don't continue in it anymore. And of course, we're imperfect people and we'll still make mistakes and we'll still make mistakes with the same thing over and over. But we should never be okay with that. We should never say, well, this is just the way that I am and this is just the way that I'll always be and allow it to remain a part of us. You have to say, no, this is not pleasing to God. This is something that needs to be corrected. So you're not only understanding that it's sinful, but you are confronting it. And that is what godly sorrow is. It's saying that the condition I'm in with this sin is not right. And it saddens me that it is here that I've committed this sin. But rather than, again, rather than just hiding away from that or pretending that it's not there and distracting ourselves with other things, we instead say, I recognize this is a sin and I'm going to do something about it. And that's why godly sorrow brings us to repentance. Because we understand that a correction needs to be made. And this process is absolutely necessary for there to be spiritual growth of any kind in our life. Because spiritual growth comes through this recognition we have sin, that confrontation of the sin, and the repentance from that sin. That's why we we probably wouldn't say that Jesus went through times of spiritual growth while he was on the earth because he was perfect. There was no growth to be had. He was perfect from day one to the time he reascended back into heaven. He was perfect. He had no sin. And so there was no growth to take place. But we're not perfect. We make mistakes. And if we want to grow in our spiritual life, then we have to be willing to be corrected on those mistakes. So spiritual growth can only happen if we allow our lives to have godly sorrow. And that means that we're not just walking around pretending that everything's fine. That we don't think, well, as long as we've got a smile on our face and air to breathe, and everything's peachy keen. Because we're not perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. There are things in our life that shouldn't be there. And rather than hiding those things away, pretending they're not there, We need to let godly sorrow, not just guilt and shame, that's worldly sorrow, but godly sorrow, which is facing the problem head on, understanding that it's something that needs to change and making that change. And as we do that, as we repent of those things, 
and through the grace and strength that God gives us, we overcome those things in our life. Then we will grow spiritually. But it starts with honesty. To honestly open that door in our life for correction to take place. That we can be told what needs to change so that that change can take place, that there can be repentance, and we can continue to grow closer to God and more into the person that God wants us to be. So let's not neglect having godly sorrow in our life. Again, not worldly sorrow. Don't walk around with your head down talking about how terrible of a person you are. No, no. Godly sorrow paired with the joy of God, where you are saying, I know that God will help me get through this, that it's through the power of his work on the cross that I'm able to get through this, and even though I recognize I'm not perfect, I'm going to let him help me become better today than I was yesterday. So let's always maintain that attitude of repentance that is known as godly sorrow. And that has been today's Sermon in the Pocket. As always, if you have any comments or questions for me, feel free to contact me, either through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page, or you can email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And as always, I encourage you to share this with other people to help get the message out there. But until next time... I thank you for taking the time to listen, and it's my prayer that God will bless you as you go throughout your day.